For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode I'm joined by mask artist Ray Bishop, a professional painter with over 20 years of NHL experience. He's worked with Ryan Miller dating back to his days at Michigan State and counts goalies like Jimmy Howard, Cal Peterson, Alex Nedeljkovic as clients. Ray painted the last seven masks of my career and also got the chance to work with Hashik, Belfort, Turek, Montoya, Hobby Bull, and Manny Legacy. Guy's an amazing artist. Enjoy. Great. Thanks a ton for joining me today on Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. I'd like to start off going into your background with being a mask painter, being an artist first and foremost. How did you get into this? I mean, as a kid, was it this passion of yours that you said, I'm going to paint goalie masks? Or did you just kind of happen to fall into doing masks among the other things that you do as an everyday artist? Well, it's it's funny you ask that because, uh, yes, it, it really did start when I was pretty young. I, I don't remember the exact age, but I'll guess in a range between five and seven years old. I used to, uh, I'm a car fan, hot rod fan. I always have been. And I used to have Hot Wheels as a kid. I'm sure most kids have Matchbox or Hot Wheels cars, but I love to customize them. So I would take the cars and I would go and I would swipe my mom's nail polish or markers or paint pens, whatever we had, white out, whatever I could get my hands on. And I would uh, put flames on them and stripes and you name it. I would just customize all my Hot Wheels. And it's funny, I look at them now and uh, <laughs> I got a, I've got a bunch of Hot Wheels from when I was a kid and none of them are like just clean off the shelf. They all have something on them. So uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh a little bit about, you know, where I guess I started at. You know, when you got to school, was art your class? Did you know like 100% I'm all in on this? This is what I'd like to do? You know, and that's another funny thing is, yes, I liked art class, you know, but I I think I liked it for the wrong reason back then. I look at it differently now, but back then it was more, I took an art class because it was a, it was easy, you know what I mean? It was a, it was, pardon me, but a blow off class, you know, I didn't have to put, I didn't have to worry about it because I knew I could do it, you know, type thing. And um, I mean, even in college, I didn't have... I, looking back now, I wish I had had a big degree or I'd gone to, you know, a center for creative studies here in Michigan. It's a big art school. And, um, but I, I just went to community college and, um, I had an art class and probably didn't show up as much as I maybe should have. Um, but when I did show up, you know, I, the, the instructor would walk by, like, I remember one time we we're doing a, uh, um, you know, like a charcoal, um, drawing of a live model in the in the middle of the room. And, I mean, I had not been there maybe the past two classes before this, and the instructor walks by and grabs my paper, holds it up and says, and this is what it should look like. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck am I here for? And that was kind of 
you know, the part I didn't like about art class is because they always wanted to push you in a certain way, kind of put you inside of this, this uh, box of, you know, okay, today we're going to look at these vases or pots on a table and we're going to draw those. And I mean, I get it, you know, looking back, I get why they do that now. But then I'm like, you know, that's not what I want to do. I can already do that. I want to, I want to do crazy stuff. I want to do these other things. I've got all these other ideas. And, and I think that's why I kind of maybe didn't take those classes as much as I, most people would have thought I would have, but, uh, I've always been kind of self-taught. I just did my thing. And I don't know, maybe that's the, uh, what appealed to me so much about goalie mass is that it was kind of a, uh, an outside of the box type thinking, you know, it wasn't your standard paint on a canvas and you know, that type of stuff. So it, it appealed to me. I could customize something. I it was smaller, you know, object. It was easy to work with as far as, you know, that goes. And, uh, I could do my thing with it and sky was the limit with, uh, what kind of artwork you could do on it. So it sounds like your story kind of parallels what a lot of people in the culinary world do, where they go to the culinary school for like a month or a year and they get out of there and they're like, what am I doing? I can learn all this in a kitchen anyway. It sounds really similar to yours, but you got into really? that. Yeah. It's, it's funny though. It sounds like it's really similar to that, but I want to know the, how you really got into masks and into hockey. You said you're a hot rod guy, but were there any goalies that you looked at their masks and thought, maybe I can customize that and make it look super cool or anybody that had one that really inspired you to do that? Um, well, I, the first one I really remember is, is, as a kid, I probably started, I'd say about, my dad got me into watching hockey more, uh, I'd say maybe about 1980, late 70s, early 80s, is when I really started to, I guess, pay attention to it more. Um, so I was probably, you know, 8 to 10 years old in that range. Um, and I remember Felix Potman's mask was is the first one that stands out in my head, which I imagine a lot of people that like hockey about around my age or when Potvin was, was playing back then. Um, it might be my probably do remember favorite. that mask. I mean, I, even the yeah. ones that we did together, remember my Florida Panthers masks were still yep. kind of loosely based on his having the, the, like the open cat mouth on the bottom was kind of based off of kind of a tribute to him in some ways, you know? Right. And I mean, back in that era, you tuned in the TV to the game and you didn't have to think about who was in that. You could tell rather quickly you know you had potvin you got balfour you've got uh, uh brodeur i mean even patrick Wasmas. i mean they're all ones you know that you could see you know pretty clearly pretty quickly who was in that and it uh those i guess inspired you know my to this day my current style is good in your hands good in the stands it's got to be in my opinion, it's got to be both. It can't, it's, it's got to have something up close that when you're looking at it, I want people to see, wow, this isn't just your run of the mill stuff. And then you got to be able to read it on TV. I mean, realistically, as a goalie mask artist, if that's what you call us, um, they, uh, they're, they're, we're kind of creating an identity for the, for the athlete. And, um, you know, to me, that's a, that's a big deal. It's a, it's an honor really. I mean, to be able to, to do that. And, and if people can't read what it is, well, 
I don't know. It's it. <laughs> it just kind of defeats the purpose in some ways to me. So that's why I try to keep it bold. Yeah, you're kind of helping the goalie create their own brand too, and you're helping them cultivate their personality and let that shine through in the artwork through you, which is a really cool relationship. Being a Michigan yes. guy growing up, do you remember the first mask that you actually got to paint, you know, as a youth? And then who was the first one that you did in professional hockey? Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first mask I touched. I mean, the first couple masks I did were just street hockey masks that I went and I purchased and just to do a demo type thing. And I took it up to, uh, uh, we have a, a chain of stores up here that's called Piranis. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, oh, but uh, man, Bob Pirani, I'm sure you've heard age, of Bob Pirani. Everybody <laughs> knows Piranis. That's where you go to get like, not just goalie gear, but I mean, pro pattern sticks. Like they had everything. Coming from St. Louis, that was the place to go to. Yep. So I, I took it up to a local Piranis and, uh, and kind of became friends with the manager there and, and said, Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. Do you mind if I, you know, bring a mask up and put it in the showcase here? They had the glass counter case, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I, I put it in there and I gave him some cards. And at that time it was, uh, I mean, before social media and, uh, I, I, it was even before like the web really got kicking and, um, mid nineties, late nineties. Um, I, uh, I had printed off flyers and like the rip tags on the bottom. So I'd go around all the local rinks and I pin those up on the board and, and do all that. And I look back at the mass. I still have the actual first one I ever did. It was a street hockey mask. And I, I did it to look like a whole skull. You know, the whole thing was ahead of a skull. And it's just brutal. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised to this day that anybody let me touch their goalie mask. But <laughs> seeing history, that man. stuff, I know. I'll have to send you a picture of it. It's pretty funny. But um, it, <laughs> at least I still have it, right? So and, who was the first uh, it, pro guy then? First pro guy, um, Jeff Reese with the Detroit Vipers. No way, my goalie and, coach with the Dallas Stars. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. Reeser's a, a good Reeser's a good guy. And uh, so, how'd you rope him yeah. into letting him do your mask after you did the skull one? Well, um, I I started, you know, I, I a few clients called me from my hang tags in the in the rinks, and um, so I had done a few, and I, you know, I with anything, I'm I am OCD. It's I will notice the littlest imperfections and I will beat myself up until I get it right. I want everything to be perfect. And I know that's, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder and most people don't notice the things I do, but that's how I keep pushing myself because if I see the flaw, you know, I can't let somebody else see the flaw. I gotta, I gotta fix it. I gotta make it right. So I was pushing myself and, um, I actually got a job, because, you know, when you first start out, I couldn't just do masks that, that, you know, I couldn't pay the bills that way. So I got a job in a local body shop. I knew how to paint cars. My dad had taught me that when I was a kid in high school. I'd painted my, my own car a couple times. And uh, Hold on a second. So I went and got a job. Hold on here. What was the car you painted? Uh, it was a 1979 Nova, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That's great. And what colors did you go with on this thing? Um, I went, my dad had a, uh, 1969 Camaro when I was a baby, long story, but it got stolen in New York and it was called Le Mans blue, the color that the, the vehicle was yeah, painted. Yeah, absolutely. I know that color. Sure. And, 
Okay. So in listening to my dad and how much he loved that car, I wanted to do my Nova Le Mans Blue. So I did. And um, I want to say the first time I did it that I don't think I had anything. I was just Le Mans Blue. The second time I did it, I did it to Le Mans Blue again, but I did this black stripe down the side, went to a point in the front and had like this little, uh, back in the, uh, you know, the late 80s and, well, early 90s and stuff, it was uh, the little heartbeat stripes. Do you remember the Chevy symbols always had the little heartbeat oh, yeah. stripe? Were you, just, were you rolling so, around cr- cranking Def Leppard and Warrant and everything in this car? <laughs> yes, yes. Def Leppard was my favorite. Amazing. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we went, we went, got a little sidetracked there. I just had to find out what that thing looked like. So let's go back to your pro clients though. How you got your foot in the door with, with doing all these guys kind of from Michigan and then expanding out into the reaches of pro hockey. Well, it's, so I'm at this body shop and go back to that. And they had a, like it was the new year's party for the people who work there. So we're at the guy's house who owned the shop and we're there and they're watching a, they knew I had painted masks and I was doing it on the side. They let me use the booth to clear them and stuff like that. And um, we're watching a Detroit Vipers game. It was on TV. And there was a guy in that that had just a plain helmet on. And everybody's like, man, you should get a hold of them. You should try to paint for them. You should, you know, this guy needs your, you know, needs to get Bishop Design stuff on there. And uh, so after that night, it kind of, I'm thinking to myself, you know, yeah, well, why not? So how do I get a hold of these people? I just made a few phone calls and got finally got through to the equipment manager of the Detroit Vipers at the time. And um, he's like, sure, come on up. So I came up just to meet with them and talk with them. And one thing led to another and led to me painting a mask for them and started there. And I did um, the first mask I did for Jeff was uh, I did Medusa. It was like, because, you know, the Vipers, he wanted to do something with Medusa. So I did Medusa's face on the top, and I had snakes coming all down and lightning and all kinds of stuff. Well, that mask, it was a Warwick mask, ended up in the hands of Gary Warwick Sr. And uh, then he called me, liked what I had done, and I started talking with Gary. I went out to Port Huron, and we started working together. And from there... That mask with Jeff Reese led to um, the first mask in the NHL, which was, I believe, in 1997, and it was with the Dallas Stars. It was Roman Turek, my first uh, first NHL mask, and I did Eddie's head from Iron Maiden, the whole thing, tongue hanging out the side, That's green right. hair. I remember when he came to St. <clears> Louis <throat> and he kept that design, but just in blue colors. Yep, yep, and... Uh, that mask and that those still to my day, that's my favorite kind of mask to paint, honestly, is the full head, mouth open around the face, just something big and bold and different. Makes the mask look like something entirely different than what it really is. But um, that was my first mask. And in doing that mask, I actually talked to Ed Balfour because Roman at the time wasn't quite as well versed with the English language. And, um, so Ed kind of translated, I spoke with Ed and I, I can't remember the, the, the year that it happened, but Ed and his a previous painter was longtime painter had some sort of falling out. And he said to Gary, I'll have Bishop, you know, contacted me through Gary and I ended up painting one for Ed 
I think it was his last year in Dallas. I did his masks. And, um, so I kind of moved to add and it just kind of snowballing. Once I did one in the NHL, you know, people saw it and it was different and it just kind of started snowballing into other, other goalies. And, and then once I do a few pro masks, few NHL masks, then the people locally and all across the country and just, it was, it just started blowing, you know, blowing up after that, really. And, well, I, remember, uh, I, I remember seeing your mask on a couple different places and mm-hmm. kind of wondering how it all started like that. Cause you never know. It's not like you have a marketing department or anything. You have to build your own word. No. Was that relationship yeah. that you built with Warwick, how you ended up doing a lot of college masks as well? Yes. Uh, yeah. I would say that doing that first Vipers mask and Gary seeing it, then he saw what I was capable of. We started talking, started working together, and it just kind of kept rolling from there. And realistically, that's how I met Ryan Miller and started. I painted Ryan. I started painting Ryan's mask his first year at Michigan State, and here we are now, still painting them. And I don't, I, I don't know how long it's been, but it's probably got to be twenty years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's amazing. What a relationship. Uh, Oh, and and I don't I'm, I don't know if you've met Ryan, but like yourself, just a class guy, a good guy to know, a good guy to work with, and uh, I can't say enough good things about about him as a person. What does Ryan Miller look for in a mask? Uh, Ryan is kind of kind of old school, a bit like myself. He wants something that because uh, he remembers those players that I talked about before and, you know, the Cujos and, and all of that. So he wants something that, uh, that reads well on TV, looks good, has that kind of boldness to it. Um, but he, he likes to kind of have something that, identi- you know, that people can I- identify him with, you know, like the, like the Buffalo mask that we had done for so many years. Or when he went to Vancouver, I tried to take that, idea of Buffalo and and translate it to a Vancouver design. And it was a little more difficult when he went to Anaheim, but uh, I I think we've done all right with it there. I like what we've got going. And uh, St. Louis was that one stop in between where he said, you know, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Let's just do something different. And he's a big, Ryan plays the guitar. He's into music. So we did something with the guitar you know, images on there and, uh, and just kind of came up with something fun for the short time in St. Louis. I think there's a lot of people that don't really understand what goes into actually painting a mask. And they'll ask me like when I've gotten traded or gone to a new team, how quick can I get one? Like you can just turn it out in a day or two. Could you go through the steps that it takes to, from the time you get a mask to get it painted and back to the goaltender? Well, yeah, there's a, there's quite a few. I couldn't even name the total steps. You know, if you there's 17 steps. You know, there's probably at least that. But I would say, um, you know, when I get a mask, it, it if it comes to me from a manufacturer, sometimes it's already in primer or maybe disassembled, possibly. Um, but generally, if I get a mask totally assembled, that has to be disassembled. Once it's disassembled, then you know, I take out whatever padding as well that can be taken out without harming or damaging the integrity of the padding of the mask. So that's something you've got to be mindful of as well. You just can't start pulling because, I mean, that that mask and that padding is protecting somebody's head. So you got to be, you got to know what you're doing there. 
Um, once the, that's taken care of, then the interior of the mask is all masked off so that it stays clean because otherwise there'd be paint all over the padding, which wouldn't work as well. Um, so then the mask can get prepped. It has to be cleaned with a cleaner so that there's no contaminants on the surface. Then you sand it. And once it's sanded, you clean it again. And then it needs a primer coat on there. Um, once that primer's on, it's sanded. Then it can be base coated with whatever base color you need to start with. Generally, I like to start with white because it's a nice, clean surface for the other colors to build on. So, so realistically, over the how years... Long, yeah, realistically, how long does it take you to get a mask done, though? Um, hours, easily... An average of 50 hours into every mask, at, at least. So a simple design, maybe a little less, but on average, 50, I'd say 50 to 60 hours into a mask. How many layers of clear coat are on that thing by the time you're done? Um, by the time it's done, I'd say seven or eight coats of clear done in two separate sessions. So you can clear it, you clear it the first time usually about four coats, then it can be wet sanded so that I can get everything smooth, do any other artistic things I need to do in between touch-ups, that type of thing, and then finish it off with usually three coats, but if it needs it, four, just depends on the situation. And then wet sand and, and buff as needed. Have you learned more about this the more you've done it? I mean, there's always the fear of yeah. masks chipping and, and getting really beaten up, but have you found a way to make them more durable as you've done this over time? Uh, absolutely. Different products, you know, hold up better than others. Um, it, it is a trial and error thing to a certain degree, but also I will add, if it's a gloss mask, I can add a, a chip guard to it, which is like a clear protective film that I'll put on in strategic areas. It's kind of like what you'd help. put on a cell phone, like on the face of one of those. Yes, and, and actually that started with me with Ryan Miller. Another another uh, first with him, It was he was in Buffalo. And I'm using, uh, you know, the, the best process, the best clear I can get my hands on at the time. And he was just getting drilled in the chin of this mask, and it was, it was blowing up. And I'm like, I mean, the mask will flex, and the mask has gotten better over time, so they don't flex quite as much, so things hold up better now. But back then, they were flexing a little more. Uh, there was a gel coat on there, which would flex a little more. So the chin would, I mean, paint is, as they say with anything, it's only as good as its foundation, right? you got to have a good foundation, and then the things on top can hold. Well, it's the same with paint, of course, and the, the mask would flex or whatever and the paint would crack and then it would start it chipping and stuff like that and i'm watching him on tv and i'm like you know i can't have my mask looking like that i just i can't it's gotta you know i i've got to have it holding up better somehow so i found this clear stuff that they would put like on behind the uh the wheels on cars to when rocks will come up to keep it from chipping and i'm like well maybe i can put some of that on there so I cut a piece of it and kind of heated it and got it to wrap the chin of Ryan's mask and on the next one and sent it off and told him what I'd done. And, or actually, I didn't tell him what I did. I just sent it to him because he called me. He's like, Ray, what did you do to the chin of my mask? And I'm like, uh -huh. what do you mean? He, and he goes, I, he goes, whatever you're doing, man, don't stop. He goes, because not only is it holding up better, he goes, but it's deadening that shot a little bit. So when it hits me, I'm not getting the ring. 
he's like, so just keep putting it on there. I'm like, all right, good, it works. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, so that, Miller is notorious for being is notorious for being super dialed into his equipment. So I'm not surprised that he had that response at all. And I think I've had a similar conversation with Gary Warwick, where him and and Ryan have brainstormed and found different products to put in the mask itself. You know, after all these yeah. years of doing it, who were some of the favorite guys you got to work with and along with favorite masks that you'd produced? Oh, uh, well, I I mean, I, I've i worked with a ton of good guys, some better than others, as I'm sure you know when you get into the pro world, there's some things you like and some things you don't like. But uh, I would say, you know, obviously yourself, Ryan Miller, Roman Turek, um, Manny Legacy was a great guy to work with. Oh, beauty. Uh, I, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I can say there's been a lot of neat guys. I mean, Hobby Boone, Balfour, uh, Jamie McLennan, Noodles was always a neat guy to work with. Um, did you do his kiss uh, masks? Um, I did some of them, yeah. not all of them, but yes, I did St. Louis. Uh, not his first one in St. Louis, but I had done a couple of them for in St. Louis. I had, I did the um, ones with Minnesota, and then I had done a couple in uh, Calgary as well um, with Jamie and uh, Fred Brathwaite, another great guy. Um, gosh, you know, it's without a list in front of me, I forget. You know, guys that I've worked with like oh, yeah, Hashik and Hobby Boone, and uh, I even I did a mask for Cujo when he was in Detroit. He never wore it in any games, unfortunately. Something with the fit of the mask and. I don't know, um, but I'd done one for him here. Uh, shoot, what was like it I like said, working I, I, with Eddie B? Though, what was the eagle like for a mask? Because I mean, he had the iconic design, but it kept kind of evolving over time. So, was it a challenge to make that mask look new and fresh all the time? Uh, well, when I'd done his mask the first time, he had just you know it was in his last I believe it was his last year in Dallas. And he just had left the other painter. And I knew his other painter. I, I speak to him every once in a while still. And out of respect for him, I'm, you know, I, I felt bad taking over. But I, I knew that they had a falling out. And, you know, what are you going to do? Ed owned that image, his graphic eagle. He had purchased the copyrights to it from the previous artist. So I'm like, all right, he owns the image. He wants me to paint it. I guess I'm going to paint it, but I had to try to find a way to give it my own, my own flair somehow. But on the first couple Eagles in Dallas, I had tried to do it as similar as I could to what he had because I knew that's what he was used to. And, uh, when he went, when he left Dallas and went to Toronto, I'm like, all right, now I can do my thing with it a little bit. <laughs> Cause I knew he owned the, uh, I knew he owned the artwork. So, and I mean, working with that, he, as long he really didn't, he kind of kept to himself. I talked to him in the beginning. He told me, Hey Ray, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'll pay you per mask. I own the artwork. Boom. Okay, fine. Uh, so I knew kind of what I was getting into going into it past that. I communicated more with Gary on, on the mask than, than Ed really. But, um, like I said, when he went to Toronto, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to give him what he's used to only, in my mind, better, I guess. And no, it's no offense to the previous painter because he did a great job on it, but I had to make it my own somehow. So I looked at the Eagles. He had, in the beginning, he had 
the eagles looked the same, but they were really different on each side. The the way the feathers came up around the head were a little different, and then the way it said eagle was like entirely different on one side to the other, and that just uh, I I I'm, I didn't really care for it personally. I thought it looked cool, but I did, I thought it could be cooler if I maybe made it a bit more symmetrical and change the way the, the eagle was so that it, it read more evenly on both sides. So I, I started with that. And then I added a little bit of uh, um, like a holographic material. It was like an inlay that I would cut and I would hand lay inside of the feathers coming down the chin to give it a little more sparkle. I added that to the ribbons on the chin, just some things to kind of make it pop a little more, kind of add a little more, uh, I don't know, flair to it. Uh, I did the same thing with the eyes in the eagle, like a blue holographic material. And then we played with that stuff. And in the first mask in Toronto, we still went with the uh, the brown feathers on the mask. He had, had always did the home and road, as I'm sure you know. He had the, the light color, dark color, so he could do, you know, this with the different jerseys. And we did the same thing when he went to Toronto. He had the silver base, and then he had the blue base, but we had brown feathers. And, um, after that first set of masks, I was looking at it and I'm like, God, it'd be cool to, you know, in Toronto, yeah, it's brown feathers, it's an eagle, I get it. But it, I'm thinking to myself, it'd be really cool to, to change that up a little bit and maybe do the feathers a different color to make it go a little more. And it, it, before I even had a chance to say anything to him, he had called me and said, Hey, Ray, I'm thinking on these other masks. What if we go with different feathers? So on the blue mask, they'd be silver. On the silver mask, they'd be blue. And I said to him, that's funny you say that because I was just literally just looking at that thinking the same thing. So I really liked it when we switched the feather colors that came down the jawline of the mask. And I, you know, then made things a little bit bolder, just kind of more my style. I did an out, harder outline around the outside of the eagle, things like that. Just in my mind, uh, well to go with my phrase that I coined a few years back a little more, just dish it up, make it a little more, you know, give it just that little extra. What happens when you get to the stalemate though, where your vision and the goaltender's vision really don't align? Are you, is it, is it a time you're able to kind of negotiate and bridge that gap and, and come to a conclusion that works for everybody? Or have you ever just had to just flat out walk away from a design? Um, you know, I, I don't really recall one that I've ever had to just walk away from. I recall uh, maybe a couple that I painted thinking, oh, this looks like crap. <laughs> and, you know, but just doing it because you got to get it done and do it. But I don't really recall one that I had to walk away from. And I guess I've been fortunate in in the fact that people have seen what I've done. And normally people, when you're looking for an artist to paint anything for you, you kind of look nowadays, it's easy because you've got social media, but you look around and, and you see the different styles and you say, you know what? I like the style on this guy's, whatever it is, his mask in this case. And I want to find out who the artist is who did that because I like that style. So when they seek me out now, they usually do because they like what I, my flair to it. So I'm usually able to help, uh, take ideas. I'll, I'll listen to the client. I'll take their ideas and I help them come up with a, a way that I feel it'll translate best to the mask. And, uh, most people are very receptive to me kind of running with it. Some, 
and uh, that helps out a lot in in a lot of ways. There's there's the flip side to that though, where <clears throat> people give you too much leeway. I've had guys call me in the past and say, "Hey, my colors are red, black, and white. I have no idea what I want, but I want you to paint my mask." Uh, and I'm like, okay, red, black, and white. Well, let's see, I could do just about anything with red, black, and white, but <laughs> a little help, something. And that's when I have to go into to what, what I call design archaeology. I have to dig <laughs> it out of them somehow. And that was the way I had to do with Nikolai Habibulin in, back in Tampa. I had to kind of just, just talk with him for a bit on the phone and kind of hear what he what it was he was into, what he liked, what he was looking for. And, and then I just made suggestions and he ended up liking what I said and we ran with that. So, um, it's there, there's usually something in each person that they really like, even though they say they might not know, once you start talking a little bit and, you know, like for, for instance, yourself, you love the, the racing and that style that you've kind of kept your whole career you had an idea where you wanted to go with it. I could see that. And all I had to do was then take that design and hopefully make it better than you've ever had it before. That was my job to make that thing look awesome at the end. Your style, just make it look awesome. And that's what I try to do for everybody. I don't care if the goalie's five years old or if he's playing in the, uh, you know, the Winter Olympics. It's, I, I want them to be like, totally jaw dropped, hit it when they get it. I just want them to love it. That's why I do what I do. Is it hard so. to be part of such a competitive field though? Like it's not hard. It's pretty ugly sometimes out there, I'm sure. And you, there's probably no way on earth you can just make a living off of painting goalie masks. You've got to supplement with other things. Like it's got to be a grind sometimes for you. Is it not? It, it is. It is. And I'll tell you, there's, there's points where, you look at what you're doing and you're not sure if you want to keep going or not because uh, it, it, from a fan's perspective, before I started, I loved watching hockey. From a fan's perspective, you don't see all that. You just see the, the happy, shiny stuff, you know, from the outside. Once you get involved in the pro world and you start seeing things that aren't as shiny is what you thought they were, I guess, on the outside. And, uh, it, it can, it can take some of the, the love out of it for you if you let it. So things can be frustrating. Timelines can be frustrating. Uh, budgets of clubs can be frustrating. Um, there's lots of things that can make your love feel like a job, you know? And, uh, it's, it's a challenge at times, and uh, like I said, I've been very fortunate. Good Lord's been kind to me over the years, and I have made a, we'll call it a living, on uh, predominantly painting goalie masks. I, I mean, yes, I've done motorcycles. Yes, I've done car stuff. I've done, you name it, wall murals. Uh, i am even started to experiment painting on pads now and different things, but predominantly... I would I would say at least 90% of the things that I do are goalie masks. I've enjoyed it and I'm grateful for it, but there's moments of frustration as with anything. As I'm sure as a, as a professional athlete, I'm sure you can say the same thing. 
you love being a goalie, but I'm sure there's things that frustrated you along the way. So yeah, it's true for everything um, in life with that. You can take any job, I'm sure, and you'll find the, the the positives and negatives to it. Do you still get excited though when you get a new client coming to you? And I don't even mean an NHL guy. I just mean somebody who's genuinely excited to be a goalie and to get their mask painted maybe for the first time by someone like yourself. Absolutely. Because um, honestly, at the end of the day. I do what I do for that, that end result for that either young guy or girl or pro athlete or whoever it is, when they look at it going, Oh wow, this is unbelievable. That's what I really do it for. I do it for that, for that response. I do it for the relationship, more of a relationship driven individual. Um, yeah, I need money. You need money. We all need money. That's how they keep score on this planet. So, uh, we, we need that to pay the bills, but that's not what drives me. And it, that's probably been to my downfall, I guess, over the years to a certain degree. But, uh, but I do it for that, for that love of doing it and, and going back to doing a mask and what maybe sets one artist different from another, I believe is that if, if I don't put my heart into everything I touch, it just, feels like your heart wasn't put into it when you look at a design there's lots of the painters are coming out of the woodwork these days with social media they're everywhere uh goalie mask painters are, are everywhere and but a lot of them and this is no offense to them but a lot of them just fire off logos through a plotter and stick it on spray inside of it throw some clear on it and it's done and it, and it looks good but there's a difference when you see somebody that has taken and put their heart into it and like physically has drawn things on or laid them out and there's just a difference in it to me. And that's why I still do what I do. It's that love of creating something different and then hearing the client at the end just go, wow. Are there times though where you can look and see somebody else's work and just go, man, that's wicked. Like even if it's a competitor though, and it's absolutely Instagram hero, you still see it and go, wow, this guy's done a great job. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, uh, won't get into names, but I could think of, you know, at least three, four, five different guys, maybe six that I really, I look at their stuff still to this day and, uh, appreciate it. And that's, uh, they do, they do a nice job. It's in, it inspires me to push myself or, you know, you, you might see something you on a mask, on a car, on a motorcycle, whatever it is, you might see something that an artist did. That's just like, Whoa. And it might inspire you to do something on your next job. Maybe not. I'm not a big copy guy. I don't like to copy other people's stuff, but I have no problem letting something inspire me to push myself to do something different and to you know blaze a trail or set a trend or you know try to do it and and um you know it's neat and uh, you know they say that uh what, what's the phrase is it plagiarism is the highest form of flattery is that i think it's a something to that effect anyway it's a phrase it's also a great way to get kicked out of school too though <laughs> well exactly and i'll say that i've been flattered a lot then in in the past uh 23 24 years of doing this so yeah. i see my designs uh um poorly reproduced to some degree at, uh, uh all over the internet 
So you'd still find inspiration from all over, though. I mean, do you find it from cars and other places you wouldn't expect, maybe? Absolutely. I mean, you could be watching a, a movie on TV and see a neat effect or a commercial, uh, driving down the expressway, see a billboard, um, you name it. It can be, it can come from anywhere. And an ad in a magazine, uh, I mean, now, like I said, it's really easy to pop on Google and, and type in, uh, I don't know, race car helmets or whatever it is. And you can find a plethora of, of different images of, of that or different race cars or whatever it is that, that might be so you can pull reference from all over the place. It's hard as an artist sometimes because I will get in an inspiration or a thought. Occasionally it'll be last thing when I'm laying down to go to bed or it'll be first thing when I'm waking up in the morning because the mind, my mind is constantly flooded with imagery. It's, it, I, I don't know if it's a curse of being an artist, but, <laughs> but it, it's when the mind calms down enough, occasionally, that's when the idea comes through because it's a struggle at times where you're, you've got, I've had anywhere's of 30, 40 masks in my shop at, at lined up, ready to go. And you're thinking, how in the heck am I going to be creative on each one of these? How am I going to think of a new idea? How am I, but it comes to you eventually somehow, some way the light bulb goes on and the aha moment. Well, you guys are creative people, and I think that's why goalies so often are drawn to doing what we do. And a lot of it has to do with being kids sitting down, sketching out masks and pads. And it's the one position that we truly get to express ourselves. Do you see in the future, though, anything really happening that's going to be groundbreaking or innovative with what you do, whether it's with the materials or with the artwork itself? Well, uh, you know, people are always coming up with ways of, putting things across differently. So I'm sure there's going to be something. I mean, they've got paint that you can put a little battery to now that glows without, you know, they had the glow in the dark phase for a while. I haven't seen one of those in a couple years now though. Yeah. Well, you know, we, uh, in hockey, you generally don't play in the dark, so I'm not nope. really sure. I mean, <laughs> you know what? Though we, uh, I did yeah. a goalie camp that we were coaching one year with Mitch Corn, and the lights went out, and you could hardly see your hand in front of your face. And I'll never forget okay. Mitch just keeping it rolling because we were just enhancing the focus of the goaltenders. But anyway, you're right. We don't play professional games where you can see a glow <laughs> in the dark mask. But um, so you know, you got gimmicky things like that, color change, paint, all that stuff. So I'm sure there will be something though. But, and going back, I probably 15, I'd say about 15 years ago, 12 to 15 years ago, I'll give it a range. I had purchased a, it was about a seven foot long vinyl print machine. You it print and would cut and do all of that. And back then I told my wife, I'm getting this machine because I know this is where it's going to go. Eventually the masks are going to be wrapped and it's quick. It's cost effective. I, I knew it and ended up doing some stuff. I would, it was, the materials were restrictive at the time. They didn't have the technology they do now with these vinyl materials that can be, you can wrap them on anything. Now they conform to almost anything. And back then they didn't have that. So it would wrinkle. It was a giant pain in the butt. So I had to be selective about what I'd done and where the vinyl would go, but I had started doing some of that back then and didn't use it enough 
I only used it for pretty much cutting out lettering and numberings that, you know, for, to make my job quicker instead of hand, cause I used to hand draw every number, every letter, all of that. Um, so I only used it for that. So I sold the big machine and just got a small, a small little machine and, uh, kind of stepped away from the vinyl wrap idea until now. I'm sure you've seen it and most people have seen it. That's kind of what people are doing. They're starting to wrap things. And the masks are no exception. They're starting to wrap them more and more. So I see that being, I don't think you'll ever get rid of custom paint because a wrap is never going to completely replace a custom paint job. You just can't do the same thing. But it's definitely going to become more prominent. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it start hitting the NHL too because, uh, you know, like I said, it's quick. If nothing else for an interim thing where somebody gets it, I got traded from St. Louis to Buffalo. I need to have a new design on it right away. The painter's got to paint it. It takes time to paint a mask, so let's wrap it right now and until the mask completed. And instead of using like you did in uh, in Philly with a whole bunch of uh, friction of tape on yeah, there. Exactly. Gordy Howe in my head. Uh, which, which was cool. I had that neat... Uh, uh, effect to it, you know, that old school feel, but, uh, yeah, most guys don't like to add uh, three pounds to their goalie mask with, with, <laughs> with it tape. was heavy. Yeah. I was so. really grateful to get yours. So I'm going to put you on the spot here though, with the last question, we did probably seven or eight masks together. Did you have a favorite that you did of mine? Oh, um, honestly, I had three, it's very difficult because there was three, three of them in particular, that I really liked. Um, the top two, I would say, were Philly and the one we did for when you were at Syracuse with Tampa. Mm-hmm. Though I, I liked those two, but I really liked I really liked the uh, Ottawa one and I liked uh, the Dallas one as well. So it's it's tough, but out it's of those, it's kind of like children. You can't really pick a favorite child, right? That's yeah. why I knew this question was going to be hard. It's tough, but you know, if I had to, if you forced me and I had to pick one out of all the masks I did for you, I think I like the Philly one. It just had something mean about it. And that the flat, the matte clear with that orange and black, it just looked tough to me. Um, I don't know. I, I like the way it turned out. And I want to say that was probably the one I did the quickest for you, too. I had to. <laughs> well, I think that honestly, that probably got the biggest response. Aside from my Dallas one was really special because it had the tribute to to Dimebag Daryl yeah. from Pantera on the back of it. But that Philly mask was just instantly out there. Like people were all about it, excited. And it did. It kind of looked mean. You know, it took the essence of having the flat black tape that was on it and just modernizing it. And then the best part, when we got Gritty to sign it, it yeah. completely took off, you know? So. It's so hard to pick masks because really I look at them all and they all have different memories, but I think it's a pretty good pick. Well, listen, it's been awesome catching up with you here. What's next for you? Do you have any projects or goalies in the pipeline here that you're super excited about to work with? You know, it's always an exciting time of year that's stressful and exciting. I just finished up uh, one for Jimmy Howard just uh, within the last couple weeks. I've got a couple here for Ryan Miller. I'm always excited to work with Ryan. Like I said, he... He has been loyal, and and you don't find that a whole lot in this day and age anymore. But he's been loyal to me, and he's always he's concerned about what's going on with me, asks me questions. But he's always been great to work with, and he's just like it's like you and I talking right now. I don't. There's no 
stress to the conversation. It's always just nice to talk with Ryan. He's just a, he's just a good guy. And, uh, I always look forward to working with him and, you know, finish it out with him and, and say, I don't know, there's too many artists that can say at least this day and age that I started his career in college with him painting for him and finished his career in the NHL painting for him. That's pretty special to me. I mean, if I had to pick a, a favorite mask, even of all time that I've ever done, it's probably been, <laughs> which it's created a lot of drama too, was the, uh, 2010 Winter Olympic mask with Ryan. Um, <laughs> with Uncle Sam I, on I think, it. yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, we won't get into that story. That may be in the story for another time. But there was a whole lot of of uh, stuff stirred up over that, and I think the uh, the Olympic uh, Committee even had to change the way they uh, <laughs> they went about letting guys get paint jobs because after that year, everything had to get approved and pre sketched and all this stuff. So uh, because they didn't. They didn't want uh, too much personalization, I guess. Well, Ray, thanks so much for joining me today. You've, you've given so much to the game. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.